Welcome to episode 25 of my podcast. The last episode was about recent natural theology and analytic philosophy of religion. In this episode, which is also related to my thesis, we'll delve into the issue of what counts as an argument for God. This is actually a pretty difficult question. It starts with the issue of what an argument is. There are differing accounts of what an argument is, but an argument is roughly a distinct set of propositions or statements which support a specific thesis or conclusion. It is customary to distinguish at least two sorts of arguments, deductive arguments and inductive arguments. A classic example of a deductive argument is the following argument. 1. All men are mortal. 2. Socrates is a man. 3. Therefore, Socrates is mortal. This argument is valid, since its premises are such that they, if they are true, together guarantee the truth of the conclusion. But that does not make the argument sound. For a deductive argument to be sound, it must be valid and only have true premises. Inductive arguments work differently than deductive arguments. Richard Swinburne, in his classic book, The Existence of God, distinguishes two types of inductive arguments. Number one, arguments whose premises make the conclusion more probable. And two, arguments whose premises make the conclusion probably true. Swinburne gives an example of each type, which helps us understand the difference. Alright, an example of the first type. 1. All of 100 ravens observed in different parts of the world are black. 2. Therefore, all ravens are black. Then an example of a type 2 argument. Number 1. 70% of the inhabitants of the bog side are Catholic. 2. Doherty is an inhabitant of the bog side. 3. Therefore, Doherty is Catholic. Now, you may have noticed that in these cases, the conclusion does not follow logically or necessarily from the premises. It could be the case that the premises are true, but the conclusion is false. But it is also clear that the premises make the conclusion more probable in the case of the first type, or in the case of the second type, make the conclusion probably true. Another sort of argument that has been distinguished is abductive arguments, also called inferences to the best explanation. Such arguments typically assert that some explanation is the simplest, the best, or the most plausible available explanation, and that therefore the argument's conclusion is true or likely true. The appeal to explanatory considerations is arguably what sets them apart from deductive and inductive arguments. It is relatively easy to identify an argument if it is presented in a somewhat formal manner. If it's clearly set apart from the surrounding text, and its steps and conclusion are numbered, and if it is called an argument, etc., etc. But arguments are often presented in a less uh, formal manner, and this is, for example, very often the case for arguments offered in a conversation. The trouble is that with more informally presented arguments, it can be difficult to identify the precise outline of the argument and to know all the steps involved. In my thesis on new arguments for God, it was also clear that many arguments for God are presented in a somewhat informal way. Now that we've talked about what an argument is, let's talk about what counts as an argument for God. Here we are faced with the problem that the word God has been used in different ways. The term is used in translations of various sacred texts and holy books, including the Tanakh, 
the Quran and the Christian Bible. In Christian scripture, it refers to a unique, good, perfect, and eternal deity who is the almighty creator of the heavens and the earth, who liberated the Israelites from slavery in Egypt and made a covenant with them, who is wise, loving, just, merciful, and slow to anger, and who raised Jesus of Nazareth from the dead. But the term is often used a bit differently in contemporary philosophy or religion. For example, Richard Swinburne writes that he takes the proposition God exists to be logically equivalent to the proposition that there exists necessarily a person without a body, i.e. a spirit, who is necessarily eternal, perfectly free, omnipotent, omniscient, perfectly good, and the creator of all things. In philosophy of religion, the term God is closely associated with the term theism. Theism comes in different forms. There is, for instance, bare theism or mere theism. Bare theism, on one account, is equivalent to the thesis that a personal first cause exists, that is, an uncaused personal cause of everything besides itself. A much fuller portrait of God is provided by classical theism, which is associated with Greek philosophers and medieval Christian, Jewish, and Islamic thinkers. According to Thomas Williams, the God of classical theism is unqualifiedly perfect, absolutely united, self-sufficient, immutable, atemporal, immaterial, free from all spatial-temporal limitations, impassable, and perfect in knowledge, power, and goodness. Classical theism overlaps with perfect being theism, on which God is a perfect being or the greatest metaphysically possible being. Then there is neoclassical theism. Ryan Mullins explains that neoclassical theists reject one or more of the classical attributes of God, particularly timelessness, immutability, simplicity, and impassibility, but affirm, for instance, that God is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnibenevolent. Mullins sees the affirmation of exhaustive divine foreknowledge as distinguishing neoclassical theism from open theism, Open theism overlaps with neoclassical theism, but what perhaps sets it apart is the belief that God, although omniscient, does not and cannot foreknow all free human actions. So, to put it simply, one way of distinguishing neoclassical theism from open theism is that open theism affirms that God is omniscient, but does not know all future actions of human beings and other creatures that are free, while Neoclassical theism would affirm that God knows all future actions. Open theism has further been distinguished from process theism, which is strongly associated with the philosophers Alfred North Whitehead and Charles Hartshorn. Like neoclassical theists and open theists, process theists reject parts of classical theism. What distinguishes them is likely a commitment to some sort of process metaphysics. What perhaps sets process theists apart is an emphasis on process, both when it comes to reality as a whole, as well as when it comes to to God and how God relates to other beings. All right, so for my thesis, I decided to include arguments which seem to be arguments for God, either in the primary sense of arguments that conclude that God exists, or in the secondary sense of arguments that support the thesis that God exists. Here, I kept an eye on how the arguments presenter or originator presents the argument. For example, if it is presented as an argument for theism or an argument for God, then I would tend to include such an argument. Perhaps with a more rigorous approach, more distinctions could be included. For example, it would be helpful to distinguish different senses of the word God and to analyze arguments which are presented as arguments for God to see what sort of being they conclude to. 
For example, an argument may explicitly conclude that God exists, but what the term God means in the context of the argument may differ from argument to argument. Lastly, it may be helpful to know that there are different sorts of arguments for God. In a 2019 article, Chad McIntosh distinguished two broad categories of theistic arguments, traditional and non-traditional arguments. Traditional arguments are grouped by him into the following seven categories. 1. Cosmological arguments. 2. Ontological arguments. 3. Design arguments. 4. Moral arguments. 5. Miracles arguments. and 6. Pragmatic arguments. and 7. Experiential arguments. Non-traditional arguments were also divided by Macintosh into seven categories. Number 1. Metaphysical arguments. 2. Nomological arguments. 3. Axiological arguments. 4. Noological arguments. 5. Linguistic arguments. 6. Anthropological arguments. and 7. Meta-argument arguments. I make use of this taxonomy of theistic arguments for my thesis, and perhaps in a future episode I can clarify some of the different categories and give examples of the different sorts of arguments. But it's important to note that pragmatic arguments, which were included in a group of traditional theistic arguments, are not strictly speaking arguments for the existence of God, but rather arguments for belief in God. So pragmatic arguments are more arguments to believe that God exists than they are arguments that God in fact exists. And this distinguishes, and this sets them apart from other, from the other categories. And in my thesis, I also decided not to consider pragmatic arguments because they are not, not really arguments for God's existence. All right, I hope you found this short episode helpful. And probably in future episodes, I'll say a bit more about specific arguments for God. And I also plan to make an overview episode of the last year or so of podcasting. So that may be the next episode or the episode after that. In any case, thank you again for listening and until next time.